Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. If you're listening to this and you think that a gap year might be a good idea for yourself or for your a kid in your life, I can say that I have never talked to somebody who's taken a gap year and regretted it. That was a clip from the conversation you'll hear today with Julia Rogers, who is a professional gap year coach. Yes, that's a thing. And she's the founder of InRoot Consulting, which is a social enterprise dedicated to fueling the gap year movement and developing a generation of compassionate and resourceful global citizens. And Julia is a traveler. She's a business owner, and she's taken several gap years herself. So to Say she is an expert on all things gap year is really an understatement. And today she's going to share some of her best advice around how to tackle a gap year from a mindset perspective, ways that you can afford one, some programs and resources, things to consider. There are many different types of gap years, many flavors of gap years, as she says. And she brings to the surface a lot of questions to consider when you are planning to take a gap year, a year off. You might call it a career break. You might call it something else. But in the end, it's taking a year to travel and being intentional about it. And she has been doing this for her entire career, helping people plan these gap years with her company in routegapyear.com. So she's going to share her best advice and you're going to hear it right now. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now, your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life. With as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience, when this is hitting your ears, I don't know where you are, I don't know what time it is, I don't know what you're doing, but I hope you're well and enjoying yourself today. Thanks so much for spending time here with me. If you want to get in touch, I always want to throw that out there as a reminder, jason at zero to travel.com is my email. You can always leave a voicemail for me as well. I leave a link to the voicemail box in all of the show notes. You can just click on that and leave me a message. We'd love to hear from you now. Let's talk about today's show. Really quickly, you heard at the top, Julia is a gap year expert. She recently served as the president of the board of directors of the Gap Year Association. She's a nationally 
accredited gap year coach. She's taken multiple gap years. She has helped people plan gap years for many, many years, over a decade, in fact. And she knows what she's talking about. So even if you're not taking a gap year right now, she's got a lot of advice to offer on really how to think about how to tackle a chunk of time off, whether it's a full year, a half year. I think everybody at all ages is going to get a lot of value out of this show. I should also mention that Julia has a podcast called Gap Year Radio, all about, you guessed it, gap year. So let's get into it, shall we? Thanks for listening. Stick around on the back end. I will leave you with a quote that ties up many of the themes we discussed today and a fun challenge for your next chunk of time off. You'll get all of that on the back end for now. Please enjoy my conversation with Julia. I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Thanks for listening. Thanks for doing this. So great oh, to meet you. Oh, it's my you. pleasure. Yeah, no, I'm so excited to do this. I was telling my husband this morning as I was like rushing out the door, I'm like, I have to go. I'm going on basically like the Good Morning America of travel podcasts. So <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll take the compliment. but Right. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely fully take the compliment. <laughs> I don't know if the size of the listening audience is quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> but it is qualified by travel podcasts. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm excited to say Julia Rogers, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. A gap year expert. Like when I say a gap year expert, that's understating it, I think. <laughs> I'm even <laughs> well, working in, in the gap year scene, let's call it, for, for quite some time now. Yes, uh, including my own gap year, about 15 years. So it's been my whole career. It's, it's definitely my passion and it's something that I love to talk about. So I'm so happy to be here to just chat your ear off about it. Well, I mean, I'm excited because I think we, you know, share that similar value of wanting to get people out there traveling and knowing the transformative nature of travel. We're going to dive into all that and talk a lot about gap year and getting some of your practical advice on it. I do want to broaden the conversation because I think in the world that you're in, and correct me if I'm wrong, the gap year can I call it an industry? There's a, a lot of sort of industry around it because what you work with specifically is more of like young people that are wanting to, as you say, engage in service work and travel as a way of learning about themselves and the world of, around them. I and mean, that's part of what you do at Enroute Consulting. So that is more geared towards those people that are kind of between high school and college. Is that right? Or... Exactly. Yeah. So when we talk about kind of the, the young adult, emerging adult gap year, we're talking about, you know, 17, 18 to 25 ish. But of course, the experiences that we'll be touching on are kind of like a Venn diagram. Like there's some experiences that are pretty specific to that age group and then others that you can engage in at just about any age. And gap year students will go into multi-generational opportunities as well, or things that we would just do as, you know, more established adults too. So there's definitely a huge range of opportunities that you can tap into. Okay, cool. Yeah, this is what I was thinking because I, I think there are a few questions I have that are more specific to the younger person, like either between college or in college taking a gap year. But most of the conversation, I'm going to broaden it out. Now I've learned just doing some research for this interview, there's something now called a gray gap year. Yes. I've seen this for people over 60 and they come up with these catchy terms in the media, you know, and, and of course we've talked about career breaks. 
I mean, anybody can take a gap year. So I've taken several. So definitely, I am the poster child for many different flavors of gap year at different ages. <laughs> <laughs> Is that in the New Jersey culture, taking a gap year? Oh my gosh, not at all. I had to leave New Jersey. I, I live in Vermont now. So <laughs> I was I was kidding because I grew up outside of Philadelphia. We're from the mm, same sort of the same region. the tri-state area. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> not known for their gap years, I don't think. Not known for the gap years, but there are hot pockets in that area of gap year aficionados. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, which was your Jersey Shore destination? Well, I grew up in Tom's River, which is right by Seaside Park, Seaside Heights, Point Pleasant. My fondest memories are with Long Beach Island. So LBI. Yes, me too. Yes. There was a a place we used to go and eat called Holiday Snack Bar. Did you ever go there? It was like round. It was like a diner, but it was round. I don't don't know. Treasure Island. Down in Beach Haven or like that was so so that was on the southern end. I hung up closer to Barnegat Light. So I was kind of in, I I remember like there's lots of like ice cream shops up by the lighthouse and things like that. That's kind of where I hung out. It's so funny. I don't know how you feel about this, but. You know, I live abroad. I've I've had the privilege to travel quite a lot in my life. And, and it must be a nostalgia thing. I, I don't know. Or or it is the actual destination, but there's something special about the Jersey Shore. I know I'm going there. I mean I'm it going is there, Julia. I, I will say, Jason, it is special. <laughs> it is special. <laughs> but I, honestly, I think that my my fondest memories of and nostalgia, besides just like hanging out at the beach with friends and all that kind of stuff, is ski ball. I mean you can you can travel the world over and ski ball at the Jersey Shore is its own experience. I actually took my kids down to to Jersey. We don't make it down there a ton, but we were down there this past spring, and I took the, the first stop. We drove you know seven hours from Vermont and drove to an arcade on the Jersey Shore to play ski ball. Nice. So that is that is it is an important part of my my history. <laughs> well, I mean, I really have fond memories, but the boardwalk there is super charming and. Yeah, I mean, sure, there was a period in my childhood where there were hypodermic needles washing up on the Wildwood Shore. <laughs> but I mean, besides that, <laughs> if you just set those, if you just set that aside, yeah, um, it's actually not that, that different from Bali in some ways when it comes to, I mean, like we have to fully accept that trash on the beach is a worldwide issue now. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, coming from New Jersey, did you, were you exposed to travel, international travel growing up? So my family was more of a national parks family growing up. So we did a lot of domestic travel. Um, but it's hard to know where kind of my passion for travel kind of sprang from. I remember buying a Royal Nepal Airlines shirt as a teenager at the mall and just becoming kind of obsessed with the idea of going to Nepal, going to Himalayas. And then that kind of like, I started kind of thinking more globally, you know, at a younger age because of my real love of of wildlife and environmental issues. And so that got me thinking about different ecosystems and things like that. Um, But it wasn't until I was in college that I really started thinking about travel for myself as a reality. And then once I got the bug, um, you know, post-college, I took a gap year that I'm sure we'll get into, but I I kind of, that kind of busted everything wide open. And then I haven't really stopped traveling since. (laughs) Nice. Well, you're your passion for wildlife and biology seems to have extended to your romantic life, if my research is correct, because your husband is a wildlife biologist, is he not? <laughs> I know. Well, this is perfect because I realized in you know high school biology that maybe biology and data collection and kind of being a scientist was not my path. So I just went out and found one for myself to be partnered with, and it's worked out great. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'll watch you wrestle eagles and tranquilize bears, but I'm just going to do it from over a safe over distance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I went to college at Penn State. I mean, you know the area. And back then, there weren't all the blogs and stuff like that. I know I'm dating myself, but I really found out about travel, like the reality of what traveling abroad could be through conversations with friends and through their pictures and through their stories. I began to paint my own picture of the possibilities of traveling that were outside of the the narrative, let's say, which is, you know, you go on vacation, you spend a bunch of money, which I didn't have at the time, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> arguably still don't have for those types <laughs> of vacations. And, uh, you know, it was not like independent travel and, and traveling on a budget or having an experience abroad. I mean, I wrote off studying abroad because I just assumed I couldn't afford it. And that's one of the things I think I want to get into today is gap year is a whole conversation. Of course, we're going to talk about money and budgeting and stuff like that. But for you, that's a bit about my journey. And you said yours kind of opened up for you in college. So you had that desire and that obsession with Nepal early on and and just and, and getting out of the country. But how did that idea manifest into reality for you? Yeah, yeah. And to back up a little further, I think I also have to give my grandmother credit because I went on a heritage trip to Germany with her when I was very young, or 15 or so. So that was one of my quintess, like kind of core memory international experiences um, as a as a younger teenager. And that was really powerful for me because it was it was about going away someplace where we also still had family and heritage and ancestry. And that was also, I think, very formative for me. But um, I went to Hamilton College in New York State um, and had a, a very academically rigorous and wonderful college experience. But I also felt towards the end of my college experience that it had been a very privileged experience. And I really wanted to join the Peace Corps or do some kind of intensive volunteer work. And so I got into some research and I decided at the time that I wasn't kind of ready for the Peace Corps because I'd never traveled anywhere beyond Europe and didn't know if I was ready for for two and a half years of of being in a developing country. But I did find a really wonderful NGO based out of the UK that did public health work in uh, Africa and Asia. And so I applied to work in Tanzania for 10 months as a public health educator. And so that's what I did. And it ended up being a very much a gap year experience because I was um, training and working alongside 15 other international volunteers and 15 national Tanzanian volunteers. And we were all between the ages of 18 and 27. So we were all in this kind of young adult stage, but it was very, it was an international cohort in every sense of the word because we had Tanzanian volunteers that were college bound or trying to figure out their lives. And then we had international volunteers from the UK, America, Australia, New Zealand. So that was um, such a powerful experience to meet all these people and see how they had gotten here. And then we all got dispersed in pairs to villages to deliver this public health curriculum for, we were in villages for about six months and about three to four months of it was training and some breaks and things like that. So that was the gap year experience that kind of launched me into my career now. Wow. That was first time in Africa, I guess. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And had to learn Swahili and had to live without running water and electricity. Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so but that please was don't opposite. quiz me because I do not speak it very well anymore. All my Tanzanian friends make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> you were going uh, to the polar opposite of the what you said in your words, the privileged college experience, going to the no electricity, boots exactly. on the ground kind of. So what was a day like during that experience? What would you yeah. What would you do? 
So one of the notable things about that that I still think about very frequently is how much hours in the day you do just the normal um, routine of life. Because if you don't have running water, if you don't have electricity, um, everything takes longer. So you'd wake up, you might, if you didn't have water in your, in your bumba in your, in your kind of like watering tank, you'd go to the, you'd go to the pipe, fill up your water, fill up your big buckets of water and walk back home. And that took a little while. Um, you'd light your coal stove and cook some breakfast, or sometimes we would be lucky enough to have bread, but the bread truck only came once a week. So you had to like really ration your bread. Um, and then, uh, we, my partner, uh, named Dorisi, a uh, Tanzanian woman would, and I would prepare for class. And then we'd head over to the primary school and we deliver classes around sexual reproductive health. So we talk a lot about HIV AIDS prevention at an age appropriate level. We kind of had different curriculum for younger kids and then into the teenagers at the secondary school. So we do primary school in the morning and then we'd go over to the high school, secondary school in the afternoon and do an after school curriculum for them. Um, and then sometimes on weekends and things like that, we'd also have uh, soccer matches that we'd put on where during halftime, we would um, bring everybody together and do, you know, a session on how to put on a condom or, you know, how um, how HIV is not spread through mosquitoes and, you know, just myth busting and things like that. So we were really focused on um, empowering people with knowledge. Um, and then so that was kind of an average day. And then, you know, at night, Dinner would take two hours to cook, even if it was just like rice and beans and things like that. And then dusk fell and you turn on the kerosene lights and kind of cuddle up with a book or something and then go to sleep pretty early, um, unless you felt like talking into the night um, around the kerosene lamps, which we did sometimes. But it was a quiet, slow life. So the days passed really slowly. And um, a lot of life is is just about connecting with your community and, and doing the daily work, which is kind of interesting. Do you remember how you felt the first few days there after you got over the jet lag and kind of settled into the, wow, this is like, this is my life for the next 10 months. It must've been a bit of a adjustment or perhaps not. Definitely. Well, no, I think so. The first few days in country, we were, um, in tr we were, had kind of started training. So we were all still as a group um, of international volunteers. This was before our national counterparts arrived. So that was, you know, taking, taking the bus from Dar es Salaam to Oringa, where we trained, where, you know, the bus was winding through these crazy mountain passes, passing giraffes, um, we we passed a bus that had fallen off the cliff and was hanging off of the cliff. And then we we stopped at a uh, rest stop where there was nothing that you felt super safe buying to eat. You know, it was so it was all of this kind of trial by fire. You were in a different place. You were, you know, you're not in Kansas anymore kind of situation. And then um, for me as an older person, you know, not older, older comparatively to my 18 year old counterparts, um, it was an easier adjustment because I was ready for the adventure. I think that for my 18 year old uh, British counterparts who were fresh out of, you know, high school, they were a little bit like, Oh my God. Um, but my, Oh my God moment didn't come until my first couple days in village. So that was a couple months later. So I did speak the language pretty, you know, okay. And then, but when you got to village and the, you know, the, the van from the organization pulled away and it was just Dorisi and me and this village, and we didn't know where to buy food, and we didn't know uh, we our coal stove broke, so we couldn't cook for the first couple days, and we were eating crackers. Uh, and we eventually went to our uh, village chairperson and said, "You know, our, our stove is broken. We haven't really eaten in a day." <laughs> 
and they gave us roasted corn and they came and fixed our stove. And that was kind of our first entree into the kindness of, of our hosts in that community. And everybody, of course, just took such good care of us once we got a little settled in. But yeah, those first few days were really fraught. <laughs> <laughs> well, like anywhere, I guess, of course, too, it takes time for people to get used to each other and you got a new face in town mm. or whatever. And yeah, uh, you're building 100%. a relationship. Yeah. You're figuring out that the, that the, that the tomato cart of the person who sells the tomatoes comes on Tuesdays and then you know what to expect. And slowly you kind of figure out that's actually one of my biggest pieces of advice for my students is figure out what your where you can control your surroundings and then do that research as soon as possible. And for me, I need to control my food. I'm, I get hangry. Like I want to know, like, where am I going to get my stuff? So figuring that out was really crucial for me. I could deal without the showers and the running water and all that stuff, but I need, I need my food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's getting to know people, them getting to know you and also getting to know the place and sort of just the logistics of day-to-day -day life, I guess. And the, sure. the whole experience, how did, how did it change you or how does it still affect you today? Yeah. You know, I've never, ever taken hot running water for granted after that experience. And I still think about it. Sometimes I'll still step into the shower and be like, wow, this is so luxurious. Um, and that's pretty powerful to have 15 years later to still think about that. And I, I do, I um, actually call back to one of your previous episodes, but um, I've often thought about doing like a no water week with my family. And I know that some of your previous guests, the ones who live in Guatemala did that. And, uh, you know, I think that it is really important for us as Americans and, and, you know, people who live with this creature comfort all the time to kind of recognize our, how easy it, how easy just day to day can be. Um, but so that is one way. And then I think that the other thing that it really gave me was courage and confidence. You know, after going through that experience, which was very mentally taxing and challenging because of the cultural differences and speaking the different language and, and that kind of thing, I just felt like I could take on the world afterwards. And that's something I see in my students as well, is that after these challenging experiences, you go through the gauntlet, you come out the other side and you're like, wow, like I could just start my business at 23, which is what I ended up doing. Or I could move to Jackson Hole on my own. And, you know, like those kinds of things just seemed easy in comparison. Um, and so I think that that was something that I've taken with me as well is just, um, I can do this. What an incredible set of lessons to have so early on, really. I mean, you're right. The, the gratitude is amplified when you've had the, the experience to lean on of, of not having the thing you're being grateful for. I mean, some of the ridiculous things of Western life that we complain about, right? Like there's literally been times where like, I'm calling myself out here. We're just like, you know, the groceries we ordered didn't show up at our door between the time frame that, you know, so we had to make something else. They showed up two hours later. Like, we're getting groceries delivered to our door. There's not right. really anything to complain about here. <laughs> you got to totally, have that reality totally. check with yourself. You're just like, come on. And, you know, it was really eye-opening because one of the things that I observed was all of the students from my village, Nyanyembe, would walk a mile and a half, and that's not even that long, but for comparatively to other other communities, but they walk a mile and a half to high school at to and from every day, not necessarily having a meal um, during their entire school day. And that really changed my perspective on the power of education and how how lucky I was to have not only just had my regular post, you know, secondary education, but then to have gone to college. And that was what really started 
twisting the screws about like a gap year before college as like the way to go because I would have appreciated my college experience so much more if I had done my gap year experience that same gap year experience if I had done it before university um, I would have I would have not m- missed a class for a dumb reason I would have probably changed my major I would have had just so much more clarity around the experience and it was for me it was seeing how much these students wanted their education that really put it in perspective for me. But I think that a lot of other students, no matter what they do on their gap year, come away just ready, more ready to take it seriously. And that's, I mean, we can't afford to not take it seriously nowadays because it's so expensive. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I've, I've thought about that for myself. You know, I've often thought the opposite of what you said, but I, I'm seeing your point now and kind of rethinking it. I've always been grateful that I took my first international solo trip after I like worked and I, I know how all the college debt and everything, but I worked, I saved the money. I felt like I could appreciate it more. And I was at an age where I wasn't as immature, <laughs> I guess right. I was still immature. <laughs> then if I had studied abroad at say 18, because 18 year old me abroad sounds like a scary prospect, I feel <laughs> in, in my own head anyway. Like Mm -hmm. there's like way too much partying going on in my head. I don't know. You never know. It's hard to say. I don't think there's a right. You have the experience you're supposed to have when you're supposed to have it. I guess. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly right. I sometimes call a gap year, the room of requirement for all the Harry Potter people out there. It's like, it becomes what you need it to be. So um, no matter when you take it. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Can you, can you, speak a little more on that? Sure. So the metaphor and so in Harry Potter, the room of requirement is this room that you walk into and whatever you need in the moment shows up. You know, you need the mirror that's going to talk, have you talk to your parents or if you, you have the sword that you need for the battle or whatever. And a gap year becomes that because students make a decision about how to spend their gap year based on where they are in that moment and what they most, the best decisions they can make in that moment. And so they come out the other side transformed inherently by the decisions that they've made. And so, you know, when students are, I'm working with students and sometimes they're struggling with their decisions about what to do. Should I do this program in this country or should I do this completely different thing in this other place? And one of the things I tell them is like, whatever decision you make is going to be the one that you're meant to have. Um, As long as it's intentional, you know, you can't just throw a dart at the wall and, and, you know, willy nilly, um, you know, wander unintentionally for it to be this pre-college gap year. I'm all, I'm a huge fan of like, wandering and and seeing things and experiencing the world for what it is. But I think that there is one of the kind of, I think, differences between traveling as a kind of gap year later in life and kind of a pre-college gap year is that there is a little bit more guardrails on like how we define the purpose of it. And so there are kind of usually some priorities or intentions that a young person is trying to work on that makes it a little bit more focused than um, than gap years that I've taken later in life, which are a little bit more about like just seeing things and experiencing the culture and that kind of stuff. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by US Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the US Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com altitude go. 
To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. A part of what you just mentioned brought up an idea for me about the, the idea of having too many options. It sounds like you were putting your coaching hat on there when you mentioned giving somebody the direction that you really can't make a wrong choice because you're going to have an experience. It's funny to think that too many options can be a crippling decision. I mean, we're so fortunate to have options. You know, if you're, if you're working, if you're talking about a, say an American student that can afford to have an abroad experience, we'll get into the money questions, you know, and, and all that stuff. But yet, you know, these are things that also can hold people back from traveling or making a decision. And then just kind of, it's just easier to just not, decide maybe exactly yeah Yeah. some sometimes the college process is like that you know you apply to a bunch of schools and then you get into three and your decision is somewhat made for you whereas a gap year is the complete opposite process no one you're not going to not be able to do any of these things within reason you know budgetary constraints aside so you really do have to decide what it is what is it that you want to do and that is a question that not many young adults are asked because they're they're coming through this educational system with, you know, be here at this time, take these classes. And for a lot of students, you know, it's do as well as you can so you can get in the best school you can so you can, you know, work really hard in college so that you can, you know, whatever, whatever that kind of like <laughs> late stage capitalism kind of mentality that we have is on on the right way to live a life. And so these students are not often asked, like, what do you actually want? What if you had this gift of time? what would you do without an end goal in mind? You know, what do you want to just pursue for its own sake? And so that question really lights people up. And that's the most fun that I have working with students is giving them the the playground of opportunities. Um, And usually what we'll do to kind of hone it in is I give them a framework of thinking about their personal goals, their practical adulting goals, and their pre-professional goals. So if they can come up with a couple different intentions in each of those categories, it really does bring the world back into focus in a more manageable way because someone might say like, oh, well, 
I always wanted to surf. I, I really wanted to get my PADI certification. Um, and then I've also, I need to get my driver's license and I need to, um, I want to work on my independence and confidence. And then I think I might want to be a journalist or go into marketing. And so those are kind of like personal, practical, professional. And then all of a sudden I can say like, oh, okay, well, we can combine these different experiences or we can, you know, you can go to this country to practice that Spanish that you, you, you that you took in high school, but never got to use. And, you know, we kind of go through this intention making process so that they have things that they can start researching based on what they want to do, not what the world can offer because the world can offer everything, right? <laughs> That's so great. I, everything you said can also translate to what, what you described as, let's call it the traditional path of a, of a student, but you could also apply that to somebody in a career, right? The version might be, you know, getting a promoted, climbing the ladder, whatever. I mean, you know, that all translates, I think, to people in various stages, even though you were speaking to that one. But uh, this concept of, I, I think that was a really powerful question you kind of brought up, which is what is uh, what would it look like without an end goal in mind? I think Western society is very goal oriented, right? So is a pure intention one without an end goal? Always? I, I wouldn't say so, but I don't know, it's something to think about. Yeah, it's it's about I mean, I think that for a lot of high school students, especially ones who are in settings where there is academic pressure to compete, you know, to or to and by compete I mean like apply to college, get into the best college you can, which is not every high school student's experience and I fully recognize that. But I think that when we're talking about those types of students, they're the ones that are always thinking in the terms of like how is this going to look on my resume? How is this going to get me an internship? you know, what is, um, like there, there's a lot of pressure that they're putting on themselves to know what they want to do when they grow up. And that, I mean, what a farce. You talk to any 30 year old about what they thought they wanted to do when they were 17 and they didn't know what was up. And we're asking these students to make all these big, important decisions about where they go to college and how much debt they accrue without a lot of real world experience, especially in the past few years with the pandemic. It's really limited how students really are able to know themselves and know what they're good at and know what they like doing um, in order to pursue higher education in an intentional way. And sometimes that includes a student who thought they were on a four-year college path kind of veering and saying like, actually, I want to go to a vocational school and become a carpenter or an electrician or one of these other amazing trades careers that we don't have enough people doing that pay a great living and that are more suited to experiential hands-on uh, learners and, and, and people anyway. So we really need to like rethink the entire system that we bring these people through, but that's probably a bigger question for another day. <laughs> it's another <laughs> one of my passion points though, is like, how do we break this entire system? That's not working for everybody. Yeah. Well, it's kind of breaking, but uh, all the colleges and the universities, let's say uh, higher education is pretending it's not in some ways, but who mm. knows what it's going to evolve into. Right. Yeah, exactly. The, I mean, we all want the same thing. We all want these young people to emerge into adulthood as, you know, uh, evolved and, and and humans who know about enough about themselves to be happy and productive members of society. I mean, that's like, that is, and by productive, I don't mean like, you know, the wheels of capitalism kind of thing. I just mean like, they're able to make a living and live the life that they want to have for themselves. And so, that's everybody's shared goal, but it seems like we're losing sight of how to help people get there. Um, and developing that like global competency and love of, of 
the world around us is a huge part of that to me personally. That's why I think that we need to get people out of their bubbles. Yeah. And well, this idea of no end goal that you brought up too is I, I just think it's such a great question because a lot of the striving comes from this idea that if we accomplish X, Y, or Z, it's going to give us a certain feeling or a certain status or whatever the case is where we will have made it. But just cluing some people in, if you're younger and you're listening right now, most of us don't have it figured out at all. <laughs> we probably never will. I mean, you mentioned like, you know, the somebody that doesn't know what they want to do with their life. I mean, that that's there's a large portion of uh, middle-aged folks or, you know, that run the gamut of, of ages that don't know what they want to do with their life still. So that's, I think that's important to acknowledge because, well, that goes back to like a gap year for all, right? Let's say if we're going to use like a catch-all term for this podcast, because it's, it is a powerful um, exercise in travel in experience. But I think also it, the idea of creating a box or setting space for yourself to then set an intention or go on this journey, whatever that means to you to explore a variety of questions you might have about yourself or your life. How is that not powerful? Right. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's, I think it was Miriam Beard that said, you know, travel is not just the seeing of sights, but it's learning. It's like learning that deeper way of living life. It's, it's when you see other people's lived experiences you internalize the myriad ways of ways it means to be a human and how you can get closer to your version of living your like truest, most happy, you know, way of living. I don't want to say like happy life because that's again, like we're putting all this pressure on ourselves to like always be happy and always be successful. And, and I think that it's more of just like embracing the journey. And, and I think that getting into these situations when you're younger, where you are put in un uncomfortable situations and pushing your comfort zone, it'll, it kind of allows you to really, in a deeper way, understand that life is this continuous change where you're learning and growing and shifting your perspective. And it's not stagnant. And you don't need to know exactly what you're doing at every point of it. But you do need to be like... Uh, zesting for life in a way. And so I think that that's, it's cool to set that standard at a young age because then you're allowed to live your truth a little bit easier, I think, as your life goes on. That's beautiful. The The idea of creating a career around this, that did that come right after Tanzania? Not right yeah. after. So right after Tanzania, I was like, that was really hard. I want to do something now that I'm going to flip at 180 and do something that's just pure fun. And so I uh, moved out to Jackson Hole um, to do a ski season with a friend. And, uh, you know, we got, we lived in a little hovel apartment and I ended up meeting the man that was would become my husband out there. Um, he was one of the um, ski bums who was not going to be a permanent ski bum. <laughs> and um, so we we met, we fell in love, and then I followed him to grad school. He went to school at, um, at UM in Missoula, Montana. And uh, while we were out there and settling in, I was really like, okay, I'm still obsessed with this idea of a gap year. I really want to be, I want to make this a thing in the United States. How do we make it a thing? Because it's it's already so accepted as an option in Europe and Australia and all these other places. And I kept on turning that idea over in my head and eventually came through a lot of conversations with friends and things like that, just, you know, and the hubris of youth thinking, you know, I could just maybe help people with this. I could just, that's one of the barriers is people, A, not knowing it's an option and B, feeling overwhelmed with the process of planning something so different. 
And so I'll create a database of programs that I that I trust and I'll, I'll research them. And then I will coach people through the planning process. And that really was, I just kind of picked it out of the the air, it seemed like, as an idea. But then as I started doing market research, I discovered that it actually was already an existing career. There was only a handful of people doing it, but it was something that already existed. And so I did some informational interviews with some very gracious gap year counselors that came before me and decided that I would create my own framework and my own business out of it and started it not soon after, just kind of bootstrapped it. Um, yeah, around the age of 23, 24. Nice. Yeah. You've been heavily involved. I mean, you're a nationally accredited gap year coach. There's a gap year association, which I learned about through your work. You were recently president of the board of directors for that. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? That's right. Uh, Well, one thing I just wanted to clarify when you say bring it to America, I'm guessing you mean that in Europe, in Australia, it's accepted culturally to go on yes. a gap year. Is that what you mean? That's, no. that's Thanks for allowing for that clarification. Yes. I think that we need in American culture for there to be these multiple accepted paths that are beyond the expectation that a young person just goes from high school into college. You know, And, and I think that the, in most, most family settings, there is at least that wish, if not that expectation that a student goes to college as a way of seeking that kind of success and stability. And I think that I was hoping that we would kind of re- re-examine that and, and work a gap year into the, the cultural expectation slash acceptance. Is that a good segue to talk about the Gap Year Association? Because I think uh, that's exactly, that yeah, that's exactly what they do. There's a real uh, luminary in the industry. Um, his name is Ethan Knight. He uh, lives in Oregon. And he had this idea that in order to professionalize the industry and really take it to the next level, we needed a, an organization that, A, created standards of of you know, quality and integrity for gap year programs, and also did work around research and data collection to really showcase the outcomes of of what happens when students take a gap year. And so that was his vision with starting the Gap Year Association in 2012, I believe, is when it was incorporated. And so since then, it's grown to have hundreds of, of members, including I, I don't know the latest update, but dozens of accredited organizations that have gone through an incredibly rigorous vetting process through GYA for to showcase their their standards of safety, or I say risk management, I shouldn't say safety, but like risk management, quality of programming and that kind of thing. Um, and then beyond that, they've, they've also had a research committee that has put together all sorts of um, al- really robust alumni uh, surveys, and they, co- they um, kind of bring, to- they bring together researchers that are doing other types of higher ed research as well. So it's a very... Um, fun organization to be involved with, but also it's done a, a ton of the work. Like if, if you're out there and you know what a gap year is and you've learned about it in the past 10 years, it is a lot to do with the GYA and, and their work pushing the gap year option out into the mainstream. Hmm. So when you say sort of vetting the programs or, or setting the standards or, or having a certain level of standards, I guess, I guess the intention there is obviously to protect to the participants, right? Like, so somebody, so, you know, it's not a free for all where somebody's signing up for this program and they get there and they're not getting anything they promised. I mean, is that kind of the idea? Cause I don't know anything about these gap year programs, like how you find them, how you pick one, and maybe you can, this is a good time to educate us on how it all works. Yeah. It's a great point too, because I think that one thing that's really important for people to know when they're thinking about a gap year is that there are these structured programs. And by program, I mean, it's an organization that you join. And in exchange for a program fee, you get some sort of skill 
learning experience, et cetera, you know, that they've provided. And so a program could be something like an experiential language immersion semester in Chile. It could be volunteering with marine conservation in Fiji. It could be, you know, um, a program where you're going to Nepal and staying with local homestay families and trekking to Everest Base Camp. And But you have two leaders who are dedicated to the group's safety and uh, well-being while you're traveling for three months. And so these programs are more expensive. They're, they're an investment that a family chooses to make um, because they want their 18-year-old to be in a more structured environment. So that, you know, those programs are very popular when we talk about younger gap year students, because a lot of times, you know, the reason that students are taking gap time is so they can gain that maturity and self-confidence and worldliness so that they can then thrive when they go into higher ed- education. Um, whereas there's also self-designed gap year experiences. When you think about backpacking Europe, taking a road trip, a lot of the stuff that you talk about on the show here is what we would call like a self-designed gap year experience. And most students combine both. They'll do a mix of structured experiences, but then they'll also travel Southeast Asia with friends they made at their elephant sanctuary that they volunteered at, or they'll road trip with friends or hike the Appalachian Trail. I mean, all of that stuff is certainly on the table, but the great thing about a gap year is that you can really scaffold it. So not everybody starts on day one ready to travel on their own. Um, In fact, I I would say most 18 year olds aren't necessarily ready for that. So you can maybe join a program first and then you do something a little bit more independent and challenging next. And then you go you go and go and go until after the course of a, a academic year or full year, you've kind of had a set of experiences that have given you increasing amounts of independence. And so that's kind of how we look at kind of the younger spectrum of gap year experiences as this progression of independence and comfort zone pushes and things like that. So the program for maybe, let's say, for the 18-year-old avatar of mm-hmm. uh, but maybe maybe it's a bit of a, a stepping stone in some ways to world travel where you're, you're getting immersed and you're a part of this thing, but there's some structure, there's some guidance and oversight and the group, I guess, that you're with, which is a built-in community. And I mean, you're seeing this develop now even across the board for, for older folks, they're just under different wrappings, right? I mean, you have these remote work programs where people can travel around to different countries every month as a community. It seems to me that some of the interactions I've have, have had a lot of people that sign up for that. It might be their first time sort of traveling remotely and maybe they're, they might be single, they might not, but they just want a community kind of feel to travel with. So, I mean, it sounds like all that's kind of built into these gap year programs. It's just interesting seeing that model being applied to remote work and other things that are happening for folks that are older than student age, let's say. For sure. I mean, we're social creatures. So it would make, it makes total sense that for, I mean, you've made the brave choice to take a career break or to work remotely, for example, and then to be able to plug in to this group of like-minded peers who also are going to be you know, digital nomads is such a cool concept. And it's the same in the gap year space. You know, once you're a seasoned traveler, you know that you're just going to make a ton of friends in the hostel around the, you know, the couch that you're all sitting at. But you don't necessarily have that confidence and, and certainty of knowledge when you first start thinking about traveling. So to have these community-based and cohort-based experiences is really important for these young people to kind of build that confidence. Is investing in a gap year a better investment than higher education? Ooh, it's a yes and to me. Oh, I'm going to give you such such a slippery answer. Um, so I, my argument about the gap question. year, I realize it's, that. I'm no, sorry. it's okay. I have a really slick answer for you. Um, so I think that that taking a gap year will help increase 
your return on investment for your college experience. So I think that for every student, no matter what they put in financially to their gap year, they will have a more robust college experience as a result, because they're going to be, I mean, even if they, they, um, no matter what they do, I should say, as long as they're not in their parents' basement eating Cheetos and watching Netflix, which is not a gap year. That sounds like me after college. There was no Netflix (laughs) though. It was comedy. So it's something, but we just don't have a label for it. But so say you're just, you're going out there, you're kind of doing this, you know, um, pushing your comfort zone, experiential types of learning kind of thing, no matter what you do, you're going to come out of it more mature and more ready for the next step. So the, what you make as your investment is going to vary so much family to family, and it doesn't have to be a lot. But certainly if you're the kind of student, like I do see students who are, have, you know, social anxiety or have come, have had mental health issues or um, have learning differences and investing in a structured program for that type of student is well worth the money. Because once you're dropped into the bucket of college, you have to, it's sink or swim. You have to be ready for it. So to start with this onboarding of like a smaller program where you're more taken care of and you have this like confidence in, and uh, life skills building experience before that, um, I think it's, it's an incredible investment. And, and the, research does bear out. We do see that students who take a gap year graduate sooner than traditional students and tend to have higher GPAs as well. So there's been, there is some data to back that concept. So on the topic of money, what is the smartest way to approach this? Is there a way to do this without getting into debt? What is sort of the, yeah, what's the advice, your best advice? And and then after that, we can get into budgeting and maybe some saving tips and things like that. But yeah. Sure. So I think the most important thing about your gap year is, yes, it should not be something that incurs debt. So you have to live within your means on your gap year. And it's totally possible to self-fund your gap year as well. So that's a really important concept. But I think that the first conversation really happens around the kitchen table as a family. So if there's a parent listening who has a college-age student in their life, or if you're a young person listening, like sitting down with your parents and saying, I really want to take a gap year. I feel confident that it's going to be a really good thing for me. Or conversely, you're the parent and you're saying like, Jimmy, like we really want to give you this gift of a gap year experience. And this is what we can af- we think we can afford as a family. And so a lot of parents and family members help fund gap year experiences for their young people because they're still kind of in the nest. Um, but for students who are, you know, um, you know, for students who have parents who are supportive, but not financially committed, or in other situations where they may be just on their own. Um, some students will work for half the year to then do away from home experiences. There's destination work, there's, you know, working on organic farms and doing work exchanges that are cost neutral. So there's many different types of experiences that are, you know, you know, that where you either save to spend, or you kind of can do cost neutral experiences throughout your gap time. So happy to get into that in more specifics. But I think that Basically, the answer to your question is like the family should sit down and talk about what the investment could look like for that particular family. And then you can kind of go from there. Hmm. So just reverse engineer it in whatever those uh, situations you're in that you laid out. Your advice is to kind of take a look at what what you have to work with and kind of work backwards. Is that am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. And some families are like, well, I don't know what to invest unless I know what it costs. And, you know, like some of these more expensive semester programs can be the same as a semester of college, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 for a really structured semester program. They tend to also be credit bearing. So you can actually sometimes use college savings money for gap year programs, which is an important point for those kinds of students who really need that kind of program. However, you know, if we're looking at it from just that kind of higher level, what does it cost to travel kind of thing, you know, thinking about 
ten to twenty thousand dollars, if that's something that a family can can afford to put into a gap year experience, you'd have a lot to work with. You can do a lot with that amount of money. So mm-hmm. you know, I think that it, it really that's depends the range again for a year. That's for a year abroad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and especially if you're working in like volunteering and work exchanges and things like that, you can really get pretty far. Okay. And is that including participation in a program or is that more of a a budget for self-directed? I would say that's like a, a like maybe a less expensive volunteer or internship program plus independent travel. That would be kind of the range for for that kind of thing. If you're getting into more expensive programs then it starts to eek up a little bit. (laughs) Okay. I mean, there's always a opportunity cost, right? And you have to think about this in terms of if you're living the year of your life, you're spending, you're still spending money. So how much are you spending in that year of your life? Can you neutralize, I guess, that cost and just spend the same amount abroad? Or, I mean, I guess these are all, this is why I guess you do the coaching because there are a lot of questions right, that yeah. like this. You kind of I mean, talk it, through and, it and-, and one type of gap experience that, I mean, it's not probably as much of a focus for the listeners of this show as, as international aficionados, but AmeriCorps, which is the domestic arm of the Peace Corps, has several programs that are open to, you know, 18 year olds with their high school, uh, you know, diploma. Things like City Year, which you you know embeds you in an under-resourced school in an urban area in our country, or NCCC, which is NCCC, which uh, has you work on public lands, building trails, working in our national parks and in communities and things like that. Public Allies, which is a mentoring organization. So there, those are when I say cost neutral, they are literally cost neutral. They actually give you a living stipend, which because of the cost of living ends up being neutral. But then you also get an education award at the end of your national service which you can then put towards higher education. And if you do a year of service, it can often be like $6,000 or so that you then get as your education award. So those kinds of experiences are a wonderful way to access pretty incredible, you know, workplace training, resume building, life building experiences at, you know, no cost. Okay. Well, I mean, this is leads to the question of figuring out what you want to get out of a gap year. This goes for all ages. You know, you're going to take a year of your life I mean, some of the things you just mentioned sound like pretty creative ways for somebody who wants, you know, a particular set of outcomes, like knowing, all right, well, I'm going to have all these experiences, but I know I'm also going to get this $6,000 thing, or I'm going to get trained in this skill or whatever. So, you know, you can carry on and apply those things and those will maybe offset some of the costs later on I mean, developing these core skills or whatever. And then of course, some things are unknown. Like anytime you participate in uh, any experience, you don't necessarily know what's going to happen with your life on the back end. I mean, you went to Jackson Hole to be a scheme bomb. You didn't know you were going to fall in love and, you know, marry somebody after you met it, you know. I mean, some of this, I feel like universally just goes back to this figuring out what you want out of a gap year. So what is your advice for, for people looking at the blank slate in front of them and trying to make the decisions? Right. Well, I think that we, we covered it kind of maybe a closer to the top of the show, but I think that coming down to like thinking about your brainstorming and intention setting is a really important first step. So thinking about those things that you, you know, just want to do that you really want to do. I had one, I had a student one time that said, you know, I really just think monkeys are cool. Is there something I could do with like monkeys? And I said, yes, like, let's send you to South Africa and you can work at a monkey rehabilitation center. And that was literally the only thing that he could think of that he could want to do in any of those categories I mentioned. And so we sent him to South Africa. 
He spent six months working at this wildlife rehabilitation center, and then he ended up coming back to the States and getting his uh, vet tech uh, certification and going into, you know, working at veterinary hospitals after his gap time. So whatever that little core pull is, like write that down. So um, make a list of things that you want to do. Again, just things for fun, things you enjoy, your hobbies, things you haven't had time for because of your job or high school and things like that. And then think about those career aspirations. And I don't, it doesn't, it, again, it can just be like, I enjoy sports. I enjoy um, writing for my school newspaper. I think I want to go into government, anything like that. And then you kind of, then you start kind of researching, oh, well, maybe I could go to Belize and get my PADI certification and do some volunteer work down there. And then I'll go and I'll also, you know, um, come back to DC and then do an internship at a public policy firm or something like that. So once you have some intentions to build from, the research process gets a lot easier. And then you can start thinking about geography. Um, and the geography can stem from budget and desire. Okay, cool. I like the the advice of kind of making the list. And yeah, that's a nice, practical, easy, fun thing to do, right? I mean, go to a coffee shop, grab your favorite beverage and make a start making a list of all the things you've ever wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of my colleagues says that if, if you feel like dream boarding it, then dream board it, you know, like cut stuff up. But I think that having that you're, you're also, uh, you're only accountable to yourself on your gap year. So thinking about how you want to push your comfort zone is important as well. Is there like a physical goal that you want to achieve? Is there something new you want to do in the outdoors? Or is there a new skill you want to build just as a life skill? Um, those things, like you said, you know, you get, maybe you go and get your yoga teacher certification in Bali because it's fun and it's in Bali, but then you can go and teach yoga anywhere after you do that. So it's not a bad investment to think about if there's something you really just enjoy doing to pursue it in a certification form. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Resources 
can you can you recommend some resources people can check out? And of course, feel free to mention your your website and your work here. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, feel free to find me on the internet. Um, my website is onroutegapyear.com, and I'm also very active on social media. Um, my handle's at onroutegapyear. E N R O U T E gap year anywhere you find your social media out, outlay, um, and then as far as uh, out external resources, I can't recommend the Gap Year Association enough. That's just gapyearassociation.org. Lots of info there, um, and then another really fun website is gooverseas.com. That's basically the Yelp of Gap Year programs. But for my adult traveler listeners, they also have TEFL. Uh, school listings, they have job postings, they have all sorts of really great articles and resources for travelers of all ages who want to go abroad. So that's a really wonderful resource. Um, And then the Go Overseas also runs USA Gap Year Fairs, which are these physical fairs that go all over the country and they're happening right now. So you can look at their schedule and see if there's one in your area, which is really, I highly recommend going to one of those as well during your considerations for taking a gap year. Nice. Thanks for sharing those. And we'll link up all that in the show notes. Did we miss any important points on gap year, logistics, advice, planning? Gosh, I mean, we could definitely, we could probably talk for another hour about like the nuts and bolts of planning. But I think that, you know, my, my basic, I think the thing to underline is that if you're listening to this and you think that a gap year might be a good idea for yourself or for your a kid in your life, I can say that I have never talked to somebody who's taken a gap year and regretted it um, at any time in life, but especially that kind of that, you know, before college or before higher ed kind of moment in life, it tends to be the hardest decision for a young person to make because it feels like you're going against the grain. But the people who decide to take that leap and do it are so grateful that they had the courage to. And so I would just say that if it's even an inkling in your mind that it could be a good idea to just pursue it because it, it, it will be amazing if you put your heart into it um, and you'll get so much out of it. And college will always be there, right? Um, it's not something that's going to be, uh, it's going to be waiting for you on the other side if that's the path that you want to pursue. They'll always be waiting there to take your money. Exactly. They're, going, they're <laughs> like, well, you can give us your money next year then. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about creating your own dream job. What is your advice around that? It seems like you've done that in many ways. Yes. Um, so I think that one of the biggest things that I can say is that I, I did it without, without, with knowing that if it didn't work out, life would, life would go on. You know, I had this idea when I was so young that, you know, I didn't even necessarily have the skills to do the work, um, but I just had the passion for it. And so, you know, the other thing is, is that if you're considering going into business for yourself and it's a service industry type of thing where you're consulting or coaching or uh, any kind of advising and, and things like that, you know, the startup costs are so low. You know, you need a website, you need a brand, and then you can kind of bootstrap it. And so I was able to build this business on, on so little, you know, <laughs> um, investment that it was really um, not a hard thing to do. And then I also worked part time for about five years before I could go full-time as a gap year counselor. So um, I think that having that kind of buffer and having like starting a side hustle and then building that side hustle into your main hustle um, is also, I think uh, it's the responsible maybe path, but it also worked out really well for me. Amazing. Thanks. That's great advice. I wanted to ask you about some of your favorite travel destinations, which you had on your website in Laos and uh, India and Mexico. Share those and why they're special to you. 
What yeah. is it that makes them special for you personally? Definitely. Um, I think that I share a lot. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of travelers feel like this. I love feeling someplace different. I love the feeling of like walking out in the morning and seeing flora and fauna that I don't see normally and smelling the air. And I even have like a very strong nostalgia for burning garbage after my time in Tanzania. So anytime I'm in a place where I smell burning garbage, I'm like, oh, it's home. It's my second home. Um, But no, I think that, you know, for Lao, I think it was the um, how underrated it was as a destination. No one uh, back then, you know, when I traveled there, you know, 12 years ago or so, no one was really talking about it as much, but I just love Luang Prabang. I thought it was the most magical little city with all these, this kind of combination of Southeast Asian and French influence. So the food was amazing and the buildings had this really cool architectural combination. So I love any kind of uh, meld, culture meld destination. And I found that as well in in Cuba, which is another one of my absolute favorite destinations, which is, I think, kind of hard to get to and in a sad state at the moment. But going there and riding in the vintage cars and taking in the art and dance and um, that whole cultural scene of music and art in Cuba is just spectacular, um, as well as the food. So I guess it's a it's a food and vibe for me of of my favorite destinations. um, For sure. And you're still traveling for work, it sounds like, too. I mean, getting paid to travel. That it Was that part of a little bit of part of creating this career for yourself, I'm guessing? Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes, of course. That's In a fact, bit of a hack. You know, we, I don't think we should gloss over that. If, you're, if you love travel, I'm guessing you do if you're listening to this show, you can create your own thing that requires travel or at the very least gives the opportunity to write travel off on your taxes, right? <laughs> exactly, which is usually the case for me. Um, sometimes there's like familiarization trips or, or opportunities where I'm actually brought to a country or a program. But, you know, for example, last uh, late last year um, in November, I spent five weeks in Bali with my family. So I took the kids out of school and husband came and was able to work remotely. And so I was just, I was scouting. I was going to these yoga retreat centers. I was going to volunteer programs. I was visiting marine conservation programs where they're rebuilding coral reefs off the coast of the, of the water. And it was, there's no better way for me to feel really confident about a program that I'm sending a student to than to see it and be able to meet people who are doing it. Um, and to see the passion of the locals who are implementing these programs. Um, it's just such a, it's such a joy, but it also really, it really influences my work. So yes, I do scouting trips at least a couple times a year now. Um, and that one happened to be a little bit longer term. So right now we're in like the mini gap year, uh, section of life where we take these little month long jaunts every few years to do scouting missions. That's amazing. How old are your kids? They're six and eight. How do they like traveling? They're really good travelers. You know, we started them young. Our first extended trip was to Hawaii when they were one and three. We, we spent a month in Oahu, on Oahu. Um, and then since the pandemic, we've been to Colombia and then Bali and, you know, and some domestic travel as well. And so they are like, they are mission oriented in the airports. Like they know what they're, they know their jobs. But I will say that being away from home this past fall was harder for them than I was expecting. I was like, you're in paradise we get to do all these fun things. We get to see all these temples. And by the end of the five weeks, they were like, mom, if you take us to another temple, I swear. Um, so I am learning about how they are now old enough to have their own opinions. And it's more of a give and take than it was when they were younger. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to Barcelona in in April. And so that's going to be a little bit more kid-centric, kid-friendly kind of trip, but I'm still going to be, of course, sneaking off to my meetings with program partners. <laughs> <laughs> At the time of this recording, mine are four and six. And, you know, we've traveled yeah, a 
fit with them, but you know, I start branching out a bit more. So I'm always getting, getting advice there because, um, I feel like those ages, six and eight, that could be, you know, five and seven, six and eight. Those are some good ages. I feel. Oh yeah. The Columbia trip was especially magical. They really loved going there. And, um, I think it was partially Encanto fever. We like went there right after Encanto came out. So that was pretty cool that they got to experience the magic of that movie in real form. Um, but I think that it's also, I mean, I think that honestly, the longer, the longer plane travel is what intimidates a lot of people. But once those kids are able to interact with a screen, um, it, plane travel gets so much easier. Um, and, and then, you know, just a little bit of melatonin to, to ease those, those longer flights <laughs> and, and you're golden. It's really not that bad. <laughs> Translation, put them in front of the TV and drug them. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly my plan <laughs> awesome well thank you so very much for your time today and for all your advice around gap years and and travel and yeah again we'll link up to all this in the show notes and just appreciate you taking the time to connect and share your knowledge and uh, wealth of experience in this do we call it an industry? I'm still not sure. Yes, no, I think I think we are cresting over. I mean, when there's an when there's a professional association, it is an industry. And I think that it's it's fair to say that there is, but don't let that it's not commercialized in an icky way. So don't let that freak you out. It's still like this amazing experience that you build yourself and do it with programs, do it without programs, just make it yours and and you'll have a blast. So yeah. Where is the future of this industry going? I think that as we see kind of more disruption in higher ed, the gap year is going to kind of expand to fill these different roles. So, um, you know, I think we see more two-year colleges popping up. We see more certification programs. And I think that that's a result of people kind of trying to discover what they want to do and then building their education around what they want to do rather than just going to school and figuring out at school, which at the tune of $70,000 or $80,000 a year for some of these private schools is like, it's just a crazy investment. So, um, which doesn't, which can have a good return or maybe not. So a student really needs to know more about what they want to do. And so I think that the gap year is a great tool for that. And as we see more students kind of getting around, wrapping their head around that idea of like needing to know more about what they want for certification education, a gap year is going to be a worthwhile tool for them to explore to figure some of that out. So I think that we are going to see it continue to expand and the pandemic really, launched the gap year into the stratosphere as well, as far as notoriety and understanding like what it is. So I think we're going to see a continuation of that as into the next, you know, decade or so. I keep trying to stop asking you questions and let you go, but I'm <laughs> sorry, I've got one more. I'm okay. I'm, I'm an open book. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just curious for you, let's say you could go on a gap year. We'll say with your family, cause you're not going to be mm. fine. Tomorrow, <laughs> all expenses paid. You know, what are the three things you would do? Oh, that's such a good question. Okay. Um, so we have talked a lot about doing a family gap year for an extended amount of time. And this is a big, um, like my husband and I are in negotiations right now about where it could be. Um, I would well, love... Now so this I is getting would, juicy because I'm... I know, right? So, well, we've talked <laughs> about going back to... We've talked about going to like Southern Africa, like Botswana, because wildlife biologists loves the idea of spending time in Botswana. Um, I also love that idea, but I think that I'd want something 
um, just a little, I, I don't know if it's the right place. It's not the place that I'm like most drawn to for an extended amount of time. So we're also talking about South America because of Spanish. So like Chile, Argentina, um, maybe Ecuador. So I, there's the South America, but I, okay. My heart pulls me to do Bhutan. I have never been to Bhutan. I am fascinated with the culture. I've always been really interested in the idea of gross national happiness. There's tons of snow leopard research for for Tom, if he would, you know, we, he actually went to school with some wildlife biologists from Bhutan. So that's how we kind of first got introduced to that place. I would love the opportunity to spend some extended time there and really get to know that culture. Cause it's such a, um, still off the beaten path. It's not very widely traveled and it's someplace that's always captured my imagination. So that's going to be my, that's my final answer, Jason. Bhutan. Nice. <laughs> final answer. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Well, yeah. I would like to go there as well. Probably not happening this year, but I, I will have to stay in touch because the the family gap year conversations happening around here too. So mm. you know, if you don't mind, I'll have to tap your expert opinion as we anytime as, we, as these yeah. conversations evolve. You have, I think you have probably a pretty good network to tap into for all these <laughs> ideas. <laughs> you're not going to be at a loss. <laughs> you're you're a, a true gap year expert. So I mean. Thank you so much again for, for your time today. And I do look forward to staying in touch. Oh, my pleasure, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Take care. There you have it. Thank you once again to Julia Rogers for taking the time to stop by the show and share her knowledge, years of knowledge on gap years. Hope you got a lot of value out of this one it certainly gave me some food for thought when taking a big chunk of time off or a bigger chunk of time. We'll leave all the associated links in the show notes for Inroot Consulting, her company, and the podcast that she has and everything like that. So you can explore that further. And I want to leave you with a quote that I think summarizes what we talked about today. First, a challenge heading your way right now when you get a chunk of time off the next time. No matter how big or small it is, try to find some days where you can be completely responsibility free. And even if you don't have a trip planned, perhaps you just take a weekend where you're responsibility free and you're off the phone and you're maybe writing or journaling. Maybe you're just walking in the woods for a couple days. You're not answering emails. You're not responding to friends. <laughs> you're not doing any of the normal things that you would do. You're completely taking some days or perhaps weeks for yourself or to spend time with your loved ones and be present with them, whatever the case is. That's the challenge I'm throwing out there. Even if you can just do it for a day, I've gotten to do this pretty recently for a weekend and my, oh my, how good does it feel to just be in the world with no responsibilities and let yourself do that. Allow yourself to be in the world without responsibilities. Such a great feeling. And it's different than kind of having the responsibilities and shrugging them because that can come with the guilt of, oh, I should probably be getting this done. I should probably be doing this. I should probably be doing that. Instead of just being like, okay, I'm going to block this weekend off and I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to have any responsibilities. I don't care who it pisses off. <laughs> this is for me. So do that for yourself. That's going to be my challenge to you. And if you do and you enjoy it or you get some kind of um, value out of that, 
and you want to share your experience with the community and inspire others here in the listening community to do the same. Again, I throw out these challenges. I I'm never know who does them, if anybody does them, whatever. But if you leave me a message or send me an email and let me know, I'd love to hear it. And then I can share that with everybody as well. If you find the time and you are so inclined. Okay. Let me leave you with this quote now. Well, actually, I'm going to leave you with two. The first one's from Hiral Nagda, who said, sometimes doing nothing makes way for everything. I love that. I was on a walk the other day, coming up with a bunch of ideas, and I realized this is essential to my work day, is actually getting out and doing nothing, making way for everything. So I love that one. And also Russell Eric Dobda, who said, taking a break can lead to breakthroughs ponder those as you go about your day. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. Peace and love to you and yours. Thanks again. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 